Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to start, verse 45. No, we're not doing a foot washing, for those of you that are panicking by all this. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Let's read that. It says, The good person out of the good measure, excuse me, the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Now, the title of my message this morning is this. Singing, sermons, and soggy saints. Okay? Singing, sermons, and soggy saints. Let's, let's pray. Father, we love you today once again. God, I come before you just humbly as a vessel. God, and I recognize my limitations. But today, uh, through a broken vessel, you're able to take what's in me, Lord, that you've poured in and poured out to this congregation this morning. Let your word hit its mark. Let, us, let it accomplish its purpose. I pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Everybody say amen. All right, singing sermons and soggy saints. I want to kind of use my friend here. This is my visual aid. He is, uh, I call him Bob. And some of you don't understand why I call him Bob. It's a sponge, SpongeBob. Anyway. Um, so I want to talk about a sponge this morning. A sponge is meant for something specific, okay? Right now it can do very little because it's dry. But a sponge is intended to soak something up, right? Once you immerse it in the water, it soaks that water up, okay? But right now, in this current condition, it's really kind of useless. When all of the water is inside the sponge, it doesn't do any good until we what? Until we squeeze it, right? Sponges are meant to be squeezed. And I hope that this floor is waterproof. I should have put a a, a towel up here. Sponges are meant to be squeezed, okay? They have a potential... To do a lot of cleaning, but if the water remains inside the sponge, then everything around it stays dirty, right? I mean, you can, you can get your car up on the carport, you can put soapy water in the bucket, get the sponge down in the bucket, get it good and soapy, but as long as the soapy water stays in the sponge, your truck stays dirty, am I correct? It's only when you squeeze it out on the dirty surface that it then begins to clean the things around it, okay? The water, it's, I mean, the sponge itself doesn't have the power or the ability to clean the truck, okay? By itself, it can't clean. What is it that does the cleaning? It's the soapy water inside the sponge. The sponge is just the instrument that's used to apply the soapy water. And I want to use this as an illustration this morning. You and I are like a sponge. Look at your neighbor and say, you look like you could use a squeezing. Right? <clears throat> you, you and I are the sponge, okay? So we as a Christians, effective Christians are constantly letting out what is inside of us, right? Less, less effective Christians, I won't say ineffective, I don't think there's any, no such thing as an ineffective Christian. Did you take off of that water? I'm, I don't want to drink this water. This is just for me. Thank you. Um, every Christian is effective in some way, but how many of you know Christ, some Christians are just more effective than others? Is that, a, is that a fair statement? The effective Christians are the ones that take what's inside them and let it out. The less effective Christians are the ones that just kind of keep it all inside. Every Christian has the potential to clean up the world around them. Isn't that what the gospel does? Isn't it clean us? It makes us clean. It cleans us from the inside out. And we are the vessels that God uses then to take the gospel message to those around us who are still lost in their sins. Every Christian having the potential literally to clean up the world around them through our influence of the gospel. Um, But... We become soggy when we keep our faith to ourselves, and everyone around us remains in the filth of their own sin. 
You say, well, it's not my responsibility to save people. You, we, we, we can't save anybody. We all know that. It's not our responsibility, but it's our responsibility to harbor what God has used to clean us and, and disperse it to the world around us. Amen? Not just preachers. All of us have a responsibility to clean up the world around us. Now, we don't do the cleaning. The gospel in us is what does the cleaning. Right? We're just the instrument. We house the gospel. We, you know, when you look at the news and you see all of the, the trials and the troubles and the wars and uh, the hatred and all the stuff that makes the world yucky. And we forget when we see all that that we literally have inside of us the one ingredient that would fix the entire planet. You ever look at it like that? We look at it and we say, man, these Democrats or these Republicans or these people, these Muslims, we, we just gripe about everybody making the world yucky. And we really, we literally hold the answer to the world's problems. But the answer held in does the world no good, right? If I, I could come up with a cure for cancer, but if I just keep it in my brain, right, it's like... Uh, uh, forgive me for this illustration, but we love the Grinch uh, at our house. And it's like the Grinch, you know, he's just, he's just old grumpy guy and he's looking over his schedule and he, he says, uh, find the cure for world hunger, for world hunger, tell no one, right? He wants to figure out how to feed the world, but he won't tell anybody about it. We have to let what's inside of us out. Now I want you to look, you don't have to turn there, you can look on the screen because I'm going to hit these kind of quick. Uh, Malachi 3 and 2 says, but who can endure the day of his coming and who can stand when he appears for he and this is speaking of Christ is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. You know what fuller's soap is? A fuller is somebody uh, mostly in, in Bible days, their job. It was literally literally their career to wash the wool. OK, when they would shear the sheep, they would take the wool to the fuller and he would bleach it. He would clean the wool with fuller's soap and it would take out all the stains and it would make the wool white. And so the, the word of God here, Malachi is using Christ as that example. He and he alone is the fuller soap. He alone is the one that has the power and ability to clean the soul. Amen. Isaiah said it like this. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. Right? Christ has the power and the ability to clean our hearts and to clean the world around us, but he's got to have a vessel to get it there. Amen? He's got to have a bob, a sponge, somebody that will soak up his love and then go out into the world and squeeze it out. Amen? Now, I did a little thinking, uh, and I know that's scary, but I did a little thinking for this message. Think about how many, the reason I, I titled this for a reason, singing, ser, or sermons, singing, and, and soggy saints. A Christian who attends three services a, day, a week, okay, um, will, have, will hear about 156 sermons every year. Think about that. If you come average, you know, three times a week, 156 sermons every year. You'll hear about 416 songs. Now, I get my math by this. Three services a week times 52, obviously, is 156. Roughly four songs on Sunday morning, four songs on Sunday night. You're looking at about 416 songs every year as Christians on an average. It's a wonderful thing if you think about it. I mean, that, that's a lot of word that we're taking in. And that's great. And we should. We should get all of the sermons and all of the singing that we can get. Okay? Sermon, I want to talk about the goodness of sermons and singing real quickly, and then I want to get to my point. Okay, sermons are valuable. We need them. 
Without sermons, I wouldn't have a job, for one thing. But you, you need, and we all need to hear the word of God. Romans 10 and 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? Ultimately through a sermon. How is the world supposed to know about Jesus unless somebody preaches about it? And so somebody talks about it. And preaching, I think here doesn't necessarily just mean the, the preacher on Sunday morning. We all have a tendency. We all have a, a calling to preach, so to speak. But how does anybody know about Jesus if nobody's talking about Jesus? Is that a fair statement? Right, I'm, I'm squeezing out what the Lord has put in me right now as we speak. And I come up with, I come up with a title. From now on, you can call me the Sermonator. Right? Our job is to bring sermons that, that will minister to you. But you know as well as I do that there's, there's, the point of preaching uh, is not just to deliver sermons. Anybody with a laptop and access to Wi-Fi can be a sermonator. A sermon is about delivering a word in which through the Holy Spirit, the word of God um, does something to us. So a, a sermon is not just a speech. It's a word that's intended to be a word directly from God if we're willing to hear it. Amen? And every word that God gives us has an intended purpose. It's like a seed, right? That one, it, hits it, it has its purpose, it has its job, and that sermon has a purpose if we're willing to hear it. It's intended for our purpose. It's intended for our good. In a sermon, we learn the Word of God and we learn how to apply it. In a sermon, we, we receive correction as the Holy Spirit kind of gets all up in our business. How many of you have ever been convicted by a sermon? Oh, Lord, please, would more people raise your hand? Throw me a bone, even if you've never been. Have you ever been convicted by a sermon? Let me see. Whew, I'm just about to wrap it up and go home. That's what, that's what it's for. We need sermons. We need to hear the Word of God so that it convicts us, it gets in our business, it changes us. It's the Word of God, through a sermon, through a message, has the ability to convict the unbeliever, to show him his need for Christ so that he'll get saved, right? So sermons are valuable. Singing is very valuable. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19 says this, Be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. That's what we did this morning. It's a good thing. How many of you were blessed by the singing this morning? I hope that you were. Singing, in, in a song, the child of God is able to connect to the Lord in worship. Right? We reflect. The words of the songs reminds us of how faithful God is. And we, we connect with Him in worship. Worship is meant to be not whether or not everybody in the house is singing. It's not meant whether or not the person next to you, uh, is, you know, is off key. Uh, singing and worship is about you connecting with God and you having the opportunity to, to express the joy and the appreciation that you have for all that God has done in your life, right? Song is, songs are refreshing. It's like, it's like a shower for the soul. I think we ought to have a constant song in our heart all the time. Obviously, it's an integral, very key part of a service. It's a singing that, that plows up the ground of your heart and gets you ready to hear the Word of God. But not only in a church service. I mean, even every day. I, I don't know about you. I've got you know, the radio playing. It's, it's the, somehow God uses the, the music as a needle to get His love and His refreshing inside of you. We need singing. Singing is good. 2,000 years of church services and we've kind of mastered the art. Right? We know how to have a church service. After 2,000 years since Christ died, we know how to have a church service. As long as you get the singing, as long as you have a sermon, 
We can, we can put it together. And there is nothing better than a good church service. Would anybody say amen to that? I, I, uh, I want to stress the word good church service. Not all of them is good. I, there's nothing better than a good church service. And there's nothing worse than a bad one, to be honest with you. But a good church service where God's, service is, God's spirit is moving and you can feel him. And you know when you left that you heard something from God. Right? It's not about the delivery. It's not about... The song and the singing is about whether or not you come in contact with God. Okay, to quote Brother Roy, I like the way Brother Roy puts it, good things happen in church, and they do. You miss, you miss something when you're not hearing the sermon, when you're not singing the song. I know for me personally, when God is, is putting a word on my heart throughout the week, and I know that it's a word that God brings, He confirms it in so many different ways, I want everybody to hear it. Not because I want everybody to hear me. I, I, I get twisted all over my words sometimes. And I, talk, and I know that you, I talk way too fast. I know that. We, we talk about it. I talk too fast. And I know that probably you just kind of grab every other word. So it's not about the delivery. There's many people that can do better than that, than I can for that. It's about the good things that happens here that the Spirit of God can take and do something in us. Overall, sermons and singing... Is a, it's, a, it's one of a part of church, but it's about taking the gospel and getting it inside of us. Amen? But then what do we do when we come to church and we hear all those sermons and we hear all that singing? Then what do we do with it? It's good for us, but how does that affect the rest of the world? Oh, the rest of the world, that doesn't matter. That's not my responsibility. Yeah, it is. It's all of our responsibility. So we've got to keep in mind that Jesus never intended for church to be about sermons and singing. Okay? It's not about the charismatic delivery of the sermonator. It's not about, but do you realize, do you know that, that literally every year, pastors are leaving the ministry by the droves? Seriously. I mean, I, um, you know, I've been pastoring here for, for 12 years, and I have no intention of going anywhere. I, I, this is my life's work. Unless God does something different, I have every intention of staying here. But, and, and I'm not saying this about myself, bragging myself, I'm trying to put everything in perspective. The, do you know what the average stay of a pastor in a church is? About three years. Three to five years is the average stay of a pastor in a church. It's, not, it's, not, it's unheard of many times for a pastor to stay more than, more than ten years. And my pastor growing up, he would pass that church for 40 years. And you just don't hear it. And one of the reasons why, and there's all kinds of factors, it's not to blame the people. But in a lot of ways, one of the reasons why uh, people leave the ministry uh, is because they find it ever increasingly difficult to meet the ever demanding expectations of people. They don't feel like they they're not measuring up uh, in the way that they preach. The sermons aren't. Everybody's looking for a wow factor within the sermon, uh, and and pastors many times don't feel like they can measure up to that. And, and that's been that comes from several different articles and things that I've read. Do you know that there, there are now Google star ratings? For the pastor of a church, you can go to a you know a church's website and learn about about things. But if somebody can literally go to a church and people can rate the pastor, and, and he can get four star ratings, and then everybody that's trying to decide whether they want to go to this church or not can look and say, oh well, this pastor has has four stars, and it's all gauged mostly on how well he delivers the sermon. And the reason why I say all that is to say this. It's not just about the sermon. It's about and the delivery of the sermon. It's about the word of God that comes from the sermon and hopefully gets into your heart. Amen? That's not just an excuse for botching a sermon every now and again. It happens. But 
the point I try to make is this. It's not about the sermon. It's not about the song selection of the worship team. It's not about how perfect and how great they executed it. Um, we get off key at times. Me more than others. It's about the gospel getting into us through those sermons and through the singing. Changing our hearts so that we can then change the world. Amen? Jesus said to his disciples, I'm sending you forth. Right? I'm sending you out into the world to preach the gospel. To share the word that the world desperately needs. We can't share something that we don't have, obviously. The dry sponge does nobody any good. We have to be here. We have to assemble ourselves. We have to get into the presence of God so that we can soak it all up and get it inside of us. It's about soaking it all up in here and then squeezing it all out, out there. Amen? That's the way the first, that's the, way the first church did it. When you read in the book of Acts, the Christians all went to church. They got up in the upper room. They, they went to prayer. They were seeking God. There was probably a song or two there. I'm sure Peter had a special word for those gathered. You guys, so let's stay faithful. Let's stay encouraged. I know Jesus is dead now, and he's not with us, but he, he told us that we can do this. He told us to stay here in Jerusalem until we get the power that we need. So it, it had their church service, and then the Holy Ghost came and just filled that place. You read about it in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Ghost filled that room, but He didn't only fill the room. He filled the believers that were in the room. The Spirit of God, the Gospel got in them, and then they didn't just hunker down in the church and say, man, this is great. They went out into the streets and squeezed it all over everybody. Amen? They let what was in them come out. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in you, by the way, is going to come out one way or the other. All, and here's the point of my message. All soaking and no squeezing makes one soggy. Okay? Singing, sermons, it's all great. But if we never let it out of us in our everyday life, we become soggy saints. Okay? I, I put together a little list. I ripped this kind of, you know, you've all heard uh, Jeff Foxworthy and you might be a redneck if. Well, this is my rendition. You might be a soggy saint if. Okay? Now, I'm not throwing stones. I've been a soggy saint before. So, you put yourself in these shoes. This may not apply to anybody here. You might be a soggy saint if the sermons and the singing no longer move you. You can come into the, into the house of God and the anointed worship and it doesn't seem to really penetrate any. There's nothing in you that thinks to yourself, boy, God, you really have been good to me. And I'm not saying you have to lift your hands. I mean, it's great to express your thanksgiving by lifting your hands and you know, singing and, uh, unto God. And I'm not, you don't have to do that necessarily. But if, if the songs don't move you at all, if you're, you're thinking to yourself, well, I didn't really like that song. Or I heard, man, that, you know, that guitar guy got off key. And I mean, and it doesn't move you to the point where at least for a moment you go, God, thank you. Thank you for all that you've done for me. It might be just a little bit soggy. And FYI, it might not, just saying, it might not be the preacher and the singer's fault. Everybody, I say everybody, I don't mean everybody, but many. And I've heard this many times over the years as a pastor, believe me. Well, he just doesn't feed me anymore. Or it just doesn't do anything for me anymore. People leave church. It just doesn't, preacher don't preach with the same passion anymore. And the fact of the matter is they've gotten so soggy. 
And they've taken in so much and they do absolutely nothing for the kingdom of God that sermons don't affect them anymore. Church, you might be a soggy saint if church has lost its excitement for you. Okay, church has become more of a duty, um, a responsibility. Um, Dennis is going to see me uptown this week and he's going to wonder why I wasn't there. That's why we go. If church has lost its excitement and there's not something, the Spirit of God compelling you because you want to draw closer to God. And you know that you can do that in church. I'm here to tell you, if you want to get closer to God, you can do that in church. Amen? I would even venture to say, the further you are from church, the further you are from God. I know that it's not all about church, but there's something about being together with God's people to hear the word, to sing, and be encouraged by one another. If, if church has lost its excitement, there's no draw, you might have gotten a little bit soggy. If you feel like, if you, if you think to yourself, I've heard all the sermons I could hear. I've heard it all. Dennis is not going to be able to say anything this morning that I haven't heard already. You're going to sing the songs and I just, it doesn't, I, I don't need it. If you have the mindset, I really don't need to be there, you might be a little soggy in your soul. You might be a soggy saint if apathy and complacency have started to kick in. And what does that mean? Complacency basically is when you're just kind of satisfied with the way things are. I'm, I'm happy with my life. And apathy kind of means you just really don't care. You don't really give a rip. And it's easy in this world to get there. Amen? Because I don't even know that if you start to care, that means you have to care. Right? Right? So it's easier to get apathetic and just kind of be like, nah, it's easy. Just, I, I, I just want to gel. If you've gotten to the point where you're just, your walk with God is just a matter of gelling, you might be just a little bit soggy. Uh, if the joy of your salvation is turned into boredom, you might be a soggy saint. Um, the Bible says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Right? And, and you remember, can I take you back to the moment you got saved for just a minute? That's a different time for everybody. For some of you, it may have been 40 years ago. Some of you, it may have been 10 years ago. So maybe it may have been a year ago or a week ago. Let me take you back to the day that you got saved. And there should be a day that you can point to, by the way. There should be a moment in your life where you understood what the gospel was about and you repented of your sins and, and you accepted Christ as your Savior. There should be a moment. If there's not a moment, you think, well, I just don't remember that ever happening. Um, there needs to be. There needs to be a moment. We've got to be born again. How many of you know when you're born, that's an event? Everybody remembers their birth date, right? You know the day you were born, there was a moment that happened, and we got to be born again, which means there's a moment where we just give it all to Christ. And so if you've not done that, let, what is today's date? March 17th, let March 17th, 2000, let February 17th, 2019, I mean, you can wait till March if you want to, but, you know, what if Jesus comes, you know, the first week of March, you know, that whole, that whole bit. Uh, so if, let, let February 17th, 2019 be the day that you can go back in your mind and say, that's the day I got saved. That's the day I made a commitment to Jesus Christ to be my Lord. Uh, now, I had a point in all of that. Oh, I remember now. Let me take you back to the day that you got saved, okay? And I want you to remember the joy that flooded your soul. Did anybody get happy the day they got saved? Please raise your hand if you were happy the day you got saved. Of course. Because before that, you're like, okay, I'm going to go to hell. And now I'm going to go to heaven. That's a joyous occasion. That's a reason to be happy and excited. And so the joy of, the sal of our salvation. Uh, David went through a period of, of his life where he was in rebellion and he had failed God and he was miserable. And so when he finally repented and he made things right with God, he said to God, Lord, restore unto me the joy of your salvation. 
David says, I remember what it was like when things were good between you and I, God, and I want that joy back. So if your joy has waned, being a Christian is just kind of boring to you now. You've lost the joy for salvation. You've become soggy. Let's get the joy back. Let's get the joy back. Let's remember what it was like the day we got saved and have that. I, I, I would to God that I and you and all of us as Christians could carry that same joy, passion, and excitement all the way to the grave. Rather than letting it just kind of become boring. You might be a soggy saint if you just kind of are in a church going rut. And I don't, I don't figure there's a person in this room that's not at some point gotten in a rut. Right? I don't even know you can get out of a rut. We need to get out of a rut. But if it becomes a rut, and then by the way, in that rut, you know, you might, you might be a little soggy if, in, if, if you get upset when anybody dares mess with the sermon and the singing. Right? I, 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 I mean, I'm not really getting anything out of it, but I don't want you to change it. Right? Um, so... Once the sponge gets full, it can't take in anymore. Is that true? I mean, it's full, and you can't just keep putting more into it. it it's only going to get as full as it can get, and then it stops. And that's the way we are as Christians. I think that when we get soggy, we, we can, you can only take in so many sermons. You can only take in so many songs for doing before, eventually at some point, you've got to squeeze it out. You gotta you gotta take what you've you've got and, and and you'll be surprised at what sharing something maybe that I said. If you can salvage even any one liner of this message, salvage one of them, salvage one thought, commit it to memory. And this week, when an opportunity comes up, and I promise you, an opportunity will come up, share that with somebody. I mean, you may be at work with somebody, and they may say, "Man, this has been a horrible week," and. I, or maybe maybe you're talking to a Christian person and they say, man, I just, you know, our church, I don't. And you just say, hey, you, you, let me squeeze you a little bit. Now you need to be squeezed. I mean, I don't know. Take, commit one thought. And somebody says, man, my life is falling apart. And you say, well, look, my pastor said something in the service Sunday that, that ministered to me. And let me just share with you what that is. You're, you're squeezing out. And let me tell you something. The more you do that, the more you want to get in. It's just God built us that way. As we take it in, as we give it out, we just want more. But it could be, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing better than, uh, let me put it this way, there's nothing better than chocolate meringue pie. That's the best thing on earth. Okay? But you can only take in so much chocolate cream meringue pie before you finally kind of start getting sick of it. It'd have to be a lot. But eventually, eventually you'd be like, oh, I, just, I just don't want any more of that. Something that you love and you necessarily need, but you desire but you only take so much of it. And that's why sermon, you can only take so many sermons and songs. At some point, there's got to be something else that comes along. We've got to learn how to... Let me see if I can say this the way I see it in my brain. We've got to learn how to balance being ministered to and ministering to others. Does that make sense? All of us as Christians, everything's about balance. I mean, we can just, we can be, get ministered to. I mean, if, if church is all about, I want to minister to me, minister to me. We come to church and we're just, we're a sponge. So we're going to minister to me. But if we never minister to anybody else, we become selfish and self-centered and soggy and cranky and 
Blah, blah, blah. On the other hand, if we're always out there ministering and ministering and ministering and, and we have a good heart, we want to help people, we want to do things, but we never get ministered to and we never soak up, then we get dry and burn out and ineffective. We've got to find that balance between getting ministered to and ministering to others. The, minute, the balance of soaking it up and then squeezing it back out again. That's the only way that we can get out of our soggy bottom constant sorrows, right? It's by letting God squeeze something out of us. And that's not always a very pleasant experience. Sometimes God's got to squeeze us. I'll get to that in a second. But what a shame. I did some more math. Some the banker in me. Some of you bankers, Cheryl and Kim, some of you guys can appreciate this. But um, what a shame it would be. Let, let's say, okay, I got saved around when I was about 20 years old. That's, I mean, that's when I really committed my life to Christ. I first got saved when I was 14. But when I really decided, okay, I'm serving Jesus. I was about 19, 20 years old. Okay, so let's say I live to be 70 years old. That's kind of an average lifespan. Let's just say I live to be 70. That means I will have served the Lord for about 50 years. Okay, some of you in this place have served the Lord over 50 years. What a shame it would be for me to live 50 years as a Christian in which I would have heard 7,800 sermons. That's 156 times 50. Live 50 years for Christ... I will have heard, well, I would have given, but you know, you get the point. I would have heard, if you, if you lived 50 years, you would have heard 7,800 sermons in your lifetime, give or take. You would have listened to 20,800 songs. What a shame it would be to hear all of that in my lifetime and hold it all in for myself. Not, not, not even affect one person in my circle and in my life. Think about this. I don't know how many people we have here today. I, I would venture to say with everybody, we've probably got 100 people here at least. What if, what if every one of us, every person in this room, affected one person for Christ in your entire life? I mean, I'd like to think we could do better than that. But let's just say in your entire life, you, you took the 7,800 sermons and you took the 28,000 or the 20,000 songs and you squeezed out enough to lead one person to Jesus Christ. That's a hundred people that now don't have to go to hell. Right? What if each one of us affected four people? That's 400 people, right? You get, the, you get the point. That's all God really asks of us. And again, it's not like we have to sit down and you know, open the Bible to the book of Leviticus and explain the whole sacrificial process. And it's, just lit- it's literally about just taking what God has put in you and letting it squeeze out. Amen? You'll be surprised. You'll be surprised. How effective you can be anywhere. Papa squeezes out on the, on the uh, Walmart bench all the time, don't you, Papa? Glenda and, and Granny, they'll go, they'll, go, they'll go to Walmart, and while they're out shopping, he just sits there on, on the bench at Walmart. And inevitably, there'll always be another gentleman who does the same thing. He's like, I ain't walking around with those ladies. So he'll sit down on the bench next to Papa, and he somehow will always... Either strike up a conversation or the conversation will come up. Inevitably, Jesus will always come into the conversation. You know what he's doing? He's not trying to earn favor with God so he can you know, earn his seat at the right hand of Jesus. He's just squeezing out a little bit of what's in him and it gets off onto people. Don't ever underestimate what you can do. Just squeeze a little here and squeeze a little bit there. Amen? A sponge has got to be squeezed to be useful. So let me... Let me Take a little different twist on this for a quick. 1 Peter 4, 
Verses 12 through 13 says this. As soon as I can find it here on my... Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. I'm full, and sometimes we hang on to all of this just a little bit long, and we don't want to put ourselves out there, and we, we don't know how, and sometimes we just... We don't squeeze ourselves. So sometimes the Lord in His love and in His wisdom will ha- kind of have to squeeze us. He'll have to kind of do the squeezing for us. Sometimes God, you know, allows trials and things within our life that squeeze us. How many of you have ever been in one of those circumstances? You just kind of squeeze it. Just, it puts pressure on you in your life. And it's not pleasant, it's, it's, it's miserable, and you feel the pressure, and many times we just feel like, oh, it's just the devil coming against me. In many cases it is, but, but sometimes God is trying to squeeze something out of us that He knows the world around you desperately needs. Amen? It's, it, put it to you this way, somebody at work getting on your last nerve, they're squeezing you to see what comes out. Right? Unfortunately, the problem is, when most of us get squeezed like that, something else comes out, right? You squeeze, you squeeze something's going to come out. That's what we read in that very first verse, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whether it's of the good treasure of our heart. What was that verse? The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. So when the Word of God is in us, when the Spirit of God is in us, when the love of Jesus is in us, and we're squeezed, good comes out. But when... Bitterness and selfishness and hatred and apathy and all those types of things when are in us and we get squeezed. All of that stuff is what comes out. Got to make sure we're soaking up the right thing. They're just squeezing you. Next time, next time you're, you're, you're at work, so a co-worker gets on your nerves. Just say, don't say this to them where they can hear you. But just say, I feel you're squeezing. I feel, you're squeezing me. They're just squeezing me. Don't get mad. I said they're squeezing me, and I'm gonna I'm gonna show them the love of Jesus. Amen. Maybe you got an unsaved spouse, a rebellious child, an annoying relative. None of us have those. I have some of those in the place this morning, Glendella, <laughs> cranky neighbor. I don't know. You name it. People around you that just want to make life miserable. They're just trying to squeeze. They don't know it. I mean, they don't know it, but they're, they're trying to squeeze the love of Jesus out of you. Or at least Jesus is trying to squeeze the love of Jesus out of you. Don't think it's strange, Peter said. Don't, 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 think, don't think it's strange when bad and weird things happen to you. Fiery trials that try your patience and try your test. Don't think that's a weird thing. Don't throw up your hands and say, why is this happening to me? I can tell you right now, this morning, why it's happening to you. God is trying to squeeze some goodness out of you. So that you can help clean up the world around you. It's all about her attitude. You think about Joseph for a second. You read back in Genesis. And Joseph was his dad's favorite. All these brothers that Joseph had, and all of his brothers hated him. You know why his brothers hated him? Because Joseph was daddy's favorite. Joseph probably didn't have to do as many chores as the rest of the boys did. Joseph probably, you know, got more time on dad's lap than the rest of the boys did. Joseph got all of the, the fun gifts. 
Dad didn't make all the other boys a coat of many colors. He made Joseph one. So Joseph's life at home, pretty breezy. Pretty good. He had it made. Joseph didn't have to worry about a thing. But the thing about it was this. God had a plan in using Joseph to save the world. Right? Famine and pestilence and drought. All of these things were just years away from coming on the world. And people were going to die left and right. God needed somebody he could use to save the world. And Joseph, as long as he was basking in the comfort and soaking up all of daddy's blessings, he could never be effective to the world around him. Ever. I mean, what if, what if Pharaoh would have come to Joseph when he was in his dad's house and say, hey, I need you to come, you know, plant crops and store all the stuff. I need you to save the world. He'd have been like, I, I can't do that. You know, I mean... He wouldn't, have, he wouldn't have benefited anybody in that situation. God had to take him out of his daddy's home, had to take him out into the world, sell him off as a common slave, allow lies to be told about him. I know we all hate that. Joseph didn't like it either, had lies told about him, and ends up in prison. You know the story. His life... God squeezed him like he ain't squeezed many people ever. He squeezed Joseph more than Joseph ever desired to be squeezed. But out of that squeezing, God produced a man. Something came out of Joseph. You know what it was? It was love. It was forgiveness. It was a call to duty. It was a sense of responsibility. Joseph, there's something in Joseph when he recognizes God showed him about this drought. The world is going to die unless somebody works to store up some food and make preparation for what's coming. Somebody's got to do that. And when Joseph was squeezed, that's what came out of him. I'm going to, this is why it, was, it dawned on him. It did just all of a sudden, ding, this light bulb. This is why God brought me here. This is why. And then everything that God had put in him came out. He saved the world. Oh, and those brothers that hated him so much that they sold him as a slave. Those brothers that Joseph, you got to remember, was the second most powerful man in all of the world at that time. Those brothers that sold him out when they showed up to get food and Joseph realized, hey, these are my brothers. Joseph could have, he could have had them executed immediately. He had the power to do that. But there was something else that came out of Joseph when he was squeezed. When his brothers came and said, man, we need your help. You know, our families are going to die. What could have come out was vengeance. But he had soaked up God's love. He had soaked up a faith and a trust and a confidence in God. And when he was squeezed, that's what came out. He gave forgiveness and he gave mercy and he gave love to the very brothers who betrayed him. What's in us will eventually come out. Amen. Jesus didn't tell me, let me tell you this in clothing. In clothing. I'm going to tell you this in clothing. I am in clothing. But in closing, Jesus didn't tell his disciples, you know, again, it's getting close to where Jesus is about to leave the world and he's going to leave the church literally in the hands of the disciples. And he didn't say to them, pray that more Christians will go to church and hear sermons and singing. Disciples, I have a word for you. I want you to pray that more people will start coming to church so they'll hear more sermons and more singing. That's not what he told them. This is what he told them in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Lord, the Lord appointed 72 others 
and sent them, key word there, sent, sent them on ahead of him two by two into every town and place where he himself was about to go. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. This is what Jesus told his disciples to pray for. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Do what with the laborers? Send them out. Pray that God will fill people with his spirit. Pray that God will fill people with his love. And that he will then send them out into the world to squeeze it all out on a, on a world that is dry and desperate and needs God's love more than anything. I want you to pray this prayer with me. Everybody close your eyes. I just want you to pray this prayer. Just repeat it after me. This is my prayer. I, I wrote this down. I'm going to pray it. And if you're serious about it, I want you to pray this too along, along with me. Just repeat after me. Lord, through me, reach the unreached. Touch the untouched. Love the unloved. And save the unsaved. Amen. What does that look like for you? I don't know. What's that going to require of you personally? I don't know. But if we say, Lord, I'm willing to be squeezed. I don't want to be soggy anymore. Soggy, sloppy soggy in the church house. I want to leave a mark. Not my mark, your mark. I want to do something on my way to glory. You know, I talked last week, I preached last week about compassion and how important compassion is. But compassion that's received and not given is pretty useless, right? I mean, we love to receive God's compassion, His forgiveness when we do things that are wrong. But Jesus said the only way that it's really going to help even you is if you then in turn give it, right? Isn't that what Jesus said even concerning forgiveness? He said, I won't forgive you unless you Forgive other people. Jesus said, no, no, no. You want to just soak up all my forgiveness and then you want to hold a grudge against everybody else? No, I, he's, I've been worked that way. You know, compassion. Everything, God says, everything I give you, everything you soak up, all these blessings that we sung about this morning, those, those blessings that come from God, God said, all of these blessings I'm making available to you, but I'm only going to give them to you if you're willing to pass them along. Amen? Our... Uh, our bowl should, our, our sponge shouldn't be soggy per se. Our cup should run over. Let's put it that way. David said, because when, when God, you know, I said a minute ago, David said, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation. And God did that. God was so good to him. God forgave him. And then in the 23rd Psalm, David says, Lord, my, my cup runs over. I am just saturated with your love and your blessings. And I'm so grateful. I'm so thankful for all that you've done.